All right, everybody, welcome. Good to see you this morning. Y'all are a lively group today. Check it out. How'd you like that welcome? All those, uh, those young kids welcoming you as you coming through the door. That was like a, uh, I don't know, one of those cordons as, you're, as a team is coming out. It's obviously playoff Sunday, so that was, uh, that was our rendition of that. I guess the only thing that was missing were the, were the team jerseys. Uh, we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 6 today. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13, looking at the Lord's Prayer. So grab your Bibles, turn there to your New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, down the center column of seats are a couple of Bibles underneath every one of those seats. You're welcome to use that. Grab it as we're working through the, the text today. We're continuing in our series called Rhythms, looking at spiritual disciplines. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13. We're going to read these verses out loud together. Let's read. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pause to gather our thoughts and our words as we worship you with our prayers. I guess it would be appropriate for us also just to to stop and to, to listen to quiet ourselves that you might speak to us. Lord, uh, I like the words that Job said, that you're always speaking, but sometimes our sinful hearts can't discern what you're saying. And so, Lord, would you help us this morning? Would you help us uh, to quiet ourselves enough that we might hear you speaking to us through your word, that we might quiet ourselves enough that we might hear you speaking to us by your spirit, that we would even hear you speaking to us Um, in the fellowship of the saints. And as we hear you speaking, we would reciprocate uh, in our worship to you and communicate, talk back to you. Uh, We pray that these words would come alive to us as they teach us not necessarily what to pray, but as Jesus teaches us a a pattern of prayer. And I pray that we would would see um, more clearly what you would have us to do as your people. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So if you're here with us for the first time, uh, we are in a series called Rhythms, and we're looking at the spiritual disciplines. And of course, rhythms is, is kind of a play on that. We're trying to bring out those systematic, those strategic things that as a Christian, that the Bible commends that we should do, really making a habit uh, out of your Christian life. And the thought process is that these disciplines would lead to 
uh, ongoing, consistent things that help you mature as a Christian, that would help you both get connected and stay connected to God. Um, not just when you're doing that, and you're doing a spiritual thing, but really on a daily basis, perhaps even a moment-by-moment -moment basis, and what that would look like in each of our lives. So, so far, we've uh, talked about Bible intake. And uh, I made the, the bold statement that it's really hard to be a Christian and not have some sort of consistent uh, consuming of the Bible. And that, I mean, some of you uh, might say that's kind of harsh, but it's, it's true. Uh, how do we know who God is except through his word? How do we know what God has said if not reading the inspired, infallible, authoritative um, things that he's given us? The Bible tells us about God, reveals who he is, but also talks to us about ourselves inside of God's story of redemption. And so uh, as a person of faith, as a Christian, the, the discipline of Bible intake would have you read and study and memorize and meditate on God's word so that you would understand who God is and what your responsibility as a worshiper of, uh, worshiper of him is as you exist in life to glorify him and to make him, him known. That's where we started. Last week we talked about prayer in terms of listening to God, and that was a natural segue from talking about the Bible because uh, one of the things that we learned from reading and studying and meditating on the Bible is that God is speaking. And so if God is speaking to us through his word, by his spirit, through the church, through other people, guess what? Us Christians, we should be listening, right? We should be quieting ourselves and listening so that we can discern what God is saying. Today we're going to talk about prayer again, but in this, uh, in this regard, we're going to talk about talking to God. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about prayer, and we could have gone in a myriad of different places to talk about it, but there's only one place in the Bible that Jesus actually tells us how to pray. He doesn't tell us what to pray, but he tells us how to pray, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the thing that we just read, the, the passage of Scripture that we, were, that we read. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, um, again, he's not telling us what, that we should, uh, what we should specifically say to God as we're coming to him in prayer, but he is giving us a pattern for prayer. So we're going to uh, look at this prayer that Jesus shows us how to pray in a little bit of detail. But before Jesus does that, he does something very unique. Um, before he tells us the pattern of prayer, he says, first things first, there's some pitfalls that you, that, that many of us uh, could potentially fall into as we're praying that I want you to avoid. And the first pitfall that he says is, he says, don't be a hypocrite. Look at verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And so have you ever been in a, in a prayer meeting or praying with another individual and everybody's taking turns praying and say you say, you say your prayer, you say a few words, and the other person goes and they go and they're going and they're going and they're going and it almost makes you like look up like, what in the world is this person doing and who are they praying to? That's what Jesus is talking about. It's the kind of person that they aren't really praying to God. They're praying to be impressed. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't fall into um, the pitfall where you're trying to impress people by 
what you pray, how long you pray, or your trite words. He also gives us another pitfall, and it's a pitfall of trying to manipulate God. And we see that in verse 7. Skip down to verse 7. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their for their many words, the thing that the, the phrase that jumps out, at least at me, is the phrase, uh, don't heap up empty phrases. This is one of those cases where uh, Bible study helps us out, because if we study these words, then we find out that um, that, that total phrase, uh, heap up empty phrases, is actually one word in the original language that this was written in, in the Greek, and it's the, it's the Greek word, baralageo, and it's really a compound word. Bata is, uh, it simply means nonsensical. It means to babble. It's like, I'm just like, I got all these words coming out, okay? And it don't mean anything. And then you've got the, the, the verb uh, lego, uh, legeo. And obviously that means to, to say or to tell. And so Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't, don't just like heap up ritual and mechanical, mantra, magical words that really have no substance to them, that, that are meaningless, you can't manipulate God by, by the good or the, 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 the trite words that you're saying. You can't manipulate God by saying a whole bunch of words. You can't manipulate God because you found the words that might kind of be the, the right formula. And what he's doing here is Jesus is helping his disciples by, of course, they've asked him at this, in this moment to teach them how, teach him, teach them how to pray. And he's... Uh, correcting whatever their notions were on how they should pray, but he's also doing that for us. He's correcting our prayer lives. Um, everybody prays. So if you're here and you're not a Christian and you would say, you know what, I, I don't think I've ever prayed. The truth is all of us have prayed. Uh, even at all those times that, you're, uh, that you think in your mind, you know, I kind of wish, I sort of hope that, that, that something would happen or this or that. In a sense, if God is sovereign and he's controlling everything that goes on in the world, then, then when you're hoping and thinking and wishing, that's a form of a prayer even if you think you're not praying. And most of us would think this, if I'm praying, regardless of what I'm praying, it's got to be a good thing. Jesus is like, no, it, it matters what you pray. More importantly, it matters uh, you know, your motivation. There are right and wrong ways to pray. There are right and wrong motivations that we can have when we're praying. And so Jesus is saying very clearly, he wants us to pay attention to the words coming out of our mouths and the motivations of our hearts as we're praying. He, he goes on to say in verse, uh, verse 8, don't be like them. Don't be like who? Don't be like the, the hypocrites and those that are trying to manipulate God with the words, because it's not going to get you anything. God's not going to necessarily answer your, your prayer when you're doing that. Don't be mechanical. Don't be ritualistic. Don't try to impress people when you pray. Why? And this is important. This is the most important thing I'll say, and I'll come back to it at the end. He says, because you have a father. You see that big word there? You have a father. A father who knows what you need. A father who loves you. You don't have to impress him. You don't have to manipulate him with your words because if God is really a father, he already knows and he's a good father. He wants to give you what you need. In fact, he wants to hear you 
when you pray. This is an important idea, not just because Jesus said it. These are important words, but it's, it's important because of the theology behind it. The idea of Father is the, the governing aspect in, in all of our prayers, but particularly in how Jesus is telling us to pray. The idea of Father grounds everything in the, in the way that Jesus tells us how to pray. It's the basis by which God hears you as his son or daughter. And so what that means is God doesn't hear you because you, you pray eloquently or use nice words. God doesn't hear you because you're persuasive. He hears you if you're a follower of Jesus you're, because you're his son or, or his daughter, and he's your father. And if you're a parent, you understand that. He's a good father. More than that, the Bible tells us he is our heavenly father. And if he's our heavenly father, he's not going to disappoint us. And so at this point, Jesus tells us how to pray. And the first thing that he tells us is that we should pray reverently. Verse 9, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Two things here. Um, Firstly, he says, um, Father, and so there's someone out there that we should be praying to. We aren't just praying into the abyss, into the unknown, or to nothing. There's an object that receives, that's hearing our prayer, and that's Father, Father God in this case. But more importantly, he, he talks about Father in heaven, um, hallowed be your name. Um, we learn in the Bible that God is both imminent and he's... Um, what's imminent mean? Transcendent and imminent. Thank you, pastoral intern. All right, so God is, he's near, let me use like real words. All right, he's near because he's everywhere. But guess what? God is, he's in heaven. And if God is in heaven, then he should be hallowed. I should, and hallow means to, to honor or to revere him. And so I can't just come to God any way I want to. This, this Father God is personal, but he's in heaven. And so we're to hallow his name. What you hallow is what you treat as primary or sacred. What you hallow is that thing in your life that's of ultimate concern. It's your central focus. It's the supreme aim of your life. What you hollow are the things that you worry about. I mean, think about how your life sometimes heats up when the things that you worry about are threatened. It could be trouble in your marriage. It could be your finances. It could be a wayward child. It could be a job that you are worried about losing. I mean, when those things are threatened, we start worrying about it. And if you're worried about it, you're probably praying about it. Some good questions to ask ourselves in regards to how, you know, how we're hallowing things. What do you daydream about? What would devastate you if you lost it? Chances are the, question, the answer to those two things are things that you hallow. Here's what Jesus is saying. These things are central to us when they're threatened and we pray about them, but he is trying to get us to see what's more important. Jesus is saying, make the, follow, make the Father your hallowed thing. All those other things, inconsequential. They're going to come and go. 
that trial, that heart, I mean, whatever it is that's worrying you and has your full attention, it's going to pass somehow. But if God is, is in heaven, then he's worthy to be hallowed. Prayer is reverent because God is worthy to be hallowed. We're also to pray submissively. Look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In prayer, we bring our will under God's will. That's what uh, is important about these few words that he's saying here. Obviously, kingdom is God's rule and his reign uh, in, in your heart. So Jesus is saying we should, we should pray that God's rule and reign would come in our hearts and that we would submit ourselves to his will. God bends our will to meet his. We should not expect to that God is going to bend his will to meet our expectations of him. Prayer doesn't soften God's, God to do what we want. It softens us up so that we are willing to do what God wants. And honestly, I, I think, at least in my own life, in prayer, sometimes it's just a battle of the wills. Which will is going to win? I think you're a maturing Christian when you can honestly say, all right, Lord, what you want is better than what I want, so I'm going to submit. I'm, I might fight, I might, reject, I might resist you a little bit, but ultimately, I want what you want. If there's a conflict between what I want and what I know you want from my life, let your will be done. I want what you want. Uh, Pastor and author Tim Keller says this, God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. Isn't that just good? If you knew everything God knew about you and your circumstances or your situation or the people that you're dealing with, God would actually answer all your prayers if you knew what God knew. But let me tell you, if, if all of us could go back and watch the videotape of our lives don't you know, you'd admit there's some things that you have asked and prayed for that would have destroyed you. Let the church say amen. amen. Thank God that he doesn't always give us what our wills scream out for. Being submissive in prayer causes us to delight in God's will. One of the first scripture verses that I learned as a Christian was Psalm 37, 4. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of of your heart. I got songs to sing that go to that verse. I think we sang a version of that in one of the, one of the songs this morning. And, and here's our interpretation of that. Our interpretation is, I'm going to do some God stuff, and then God's going to give me what I want. I mean, is that what the psalmist is saying? Mm-mm. The psalmist means, when we take delight in the Lord, his desires become our desires. I don't know if you know this, but God always gets his desires. God always gets what he desires. If he truly is sovereign and he's in control of, of all the world, then Romans 8, 28, he's working things out for, uh, for your good, but ultimately for his glory. We, we live for nothing but his glory. God gets what he desires. And so if our will becomes, if, if his will becomes our will, we will actually be full of delight. That's hard to fathom from where we sit sometimes, but it's absolutely true. And so here's what prayers are all about. It's about submission more than supplication. Supplication being a theological word that means I'm going to ask God for stuff. 
Prayer is more about surrendering to God than getting stuff from God. It's about it's not about you getting your way. It's about God getting his way in your life that you might glorify him. And here's what Jesus is saying. He said, don't just ask for stuff, folks. Ask for him. Pray in a way that the Father's agenda literally becomes your own agenda. And so he says, pray reverently. He says, pray submissively. And then he tells us that we can actually pray practically. And I'm going to add a word, practically and persistently. Look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the, this is the verse we've been waiting on. Because we, I mean, when we're talking to God, prayer for most of us is like, all right, God, I got this long list of stuff, and I need, I mean, I need to get it out because I, I, I got some stuff I need you to do on my behalf. We want God to do things for us. And fortunately, Jesus says that we can come to God and bring him our lists. We're told to ask for what we need. The, the metaphor here is the word bread, bread being the basic building block of of our nutrition. There are some societies in the world that all they have to eat is bread and a little bit of dirty water, right? And so that, that, those are the necessities, that, I mean, the, the basics of what we need. And so Jesus is telling us, when you, give, when you ask God to give you your daily bread, what are you asking him? Lord, would you meet my daily need, whatever that need is? Now, honestly, sometimes we get confused in regards to what we need versus what we want. And I mean, you got to ask the Holy Spirit to help you discern that sometimes. But he is giving us license to actually ask for what we need. So, I mean, what do you need? Those of you taking notes, it's a good, I mean, what do you need? Write it down in the middle of my sermon. Lord, this is, this is what I need. I think God is big enough to handle you asking for all those things that you need. Lord, my car is like a jalopy. People are like, people are embarrassed when I drive up in my car. <laughs> I, I need a new car. Because you can't get around, I guess you can't get around D.C. without a car, but I pretend like you can't get around D.C. without a car. Lord, I need a job because my current job is, is I'm a temp and I need, I need income. I mean, it's, I, I need a new job. Lord, I need a, I need a spouse. <laughs> I need, I, I have the needs that you give, have given me. I would love it for you to fulfill those in me. God, can you provide all these things for me? And um, we can be honest with God and know that he will respond. God is big enough to do that. Now, we can pray practically, but Scripture also encourages us to pray persistently. I don't get that from this text. I get it from one chapter over in verse 7. The, the Sermon on the Mount goes from chapter 5 all the way to chapter 7. And same sermon, different uh, a little different in Jesus' delivery. And so he says in chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, uh, these words, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your father, to that word father again, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Ask, seek, not. All present tense verbs. And the, the impetus behind it is to be persistent in the things that you're asking God to do for you. I love the way he ends that section of, of that passage of scripture by saying, how much more? 
Will your heavenly Father give you the things that you ask? I mean, you're, you're evil, and you know how to take care of those that, that, you know, that belong to you. How much more will your heavenly Father take care of you? It's like the lilies of the field. They're clothed greater in greater splendor than Solomon. It's like the birds of the air. Y'all ever seen a bird around D.C. Metro that, like, you might have seen one that was malnutrition. But you, did you see one that was like shaking and worrying about where his, where his next worm was <laughs> or piece of bread was going to come from? It's not in them to do that. God is, Jesus is saying that same thing. It's like God is your father. He's a good father. He's going to take care of your needs, and you can come and ask him anything. And Scripture testifies to that. We are taking a break from uh, our study in the book of James. We'll go back to it in about three weeks. And James chapter 4, verse 2, this is where we're going to jump in in three weeks. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. The hymn writer John Newton, he's the guy that wrote the, the amazing hymn, Amazing Grace, says these words, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. Those are poetic words. They're written to a song, but it's written to hearts to let you know that God is big enough for you to ask whatever you will. It doesn't mean that he's going to give, he's going to give you not necessarily what you want. He's going to give you what you need. But, but you have the, the right to ask because God is welcoming you to ask because he's your father. Hebrews 4.16, we're going to read this together. Let's read this together. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The, the, the backdrop to this is that Jesus has done what none of us can do. He's lived a perfect life. He's died on the cross. He's served as a perfect sacrifice for us, and he's paved a way for us to be reconciled and to exist in the presence of a, a very eminently uh, holy God. And so because of Jesus we can come with God humbly yet confidently to his throne of grace and receive mercy. But here's the important thing. Grace to help in time of need. What do you need? What do you need? You can ask God for it and he will, he will entertain your request. Now here's a paradox. There's a paradox in us saying that we can that we have to you know ask God for our daily bread because we skipped over it. Uh, I didn't really pay attention, much attention to it, but if you paid attention in verse eight, um, Jesus said this. He says, uh, "Don't be like the the hypocrites and the manipulators, because your Father knows what you need before you ask." So, so which is it? Do I have to actually ask God? Do I have to like, form with my lips those? Um, do I have to come with a long list of stuff, or does God already know? I mean, which one is it? And, and if God already knows, I mean, why do I even have to articulate a prayer request anyway? Am I, am I just coming and telling Jesus what I need because Jesus said so? The, obviously, the text doesn't give us the answer to that. But here's what I want you to, to uh, think behind that thought. We are told that God knows what we need in prayer. We are told that we're supposed to ask God for what we need. And so both of those questions, I mean, the answer is yes. But I think that's to place before us that perhaps, just perhaps, 
There's something more to prayer than the obvious, more to prayer than what we may think. Maybe God knows what we need, but he's also calling us into relationship, father to son or daughter. And those of you who are parents know this. Most of you that are parents in the room, you don't have to work very hard to know what your kids both want and you need. If they're little, they tell, well, if they're teenagers, they always tell you what they want, right? I, I want this, I want this, and it usually has dollar signs behind it. But you, you, you can look through the wants and you see the need, right? As a parent, we do that. It's no different with God. God is not surprised by our needs. And so you can express your needs to God in very clear detail. You can't surprise him. But prayer is an invitation into relationship. God is saying, hey, I know what you want. I also know what you need, but I want you to know me. I want you to experience me. And this is the next thing he's saying. Our prayer is no substitute for obedience. Look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, we could, this is a sermon in itself, this verse right here. Obviously, forgiveness is a mega theme in the Bible, so I'm not going to treat it as, as well as it could be if it was a standalone sermon. But Jesus is telling us here, pray obediently means pray with a view to being obedient. Pray with a heart that wants to obey. So when we pray, we're, we're really dealing with two dimensions. The first is vertical, you and God. The second is horizontal, you and other people. And so whether you're a Christian or non-Christian in here, the greatest need that you have is forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. Why? Because we sin, and our sin is an affront to a holy God. In fact, our sin is such an affront to God that there's a curse in the world on creation of death because of sin. There's nothing good that you can do to escape the curse of death. Paul would say this, the, the wages of our sin, the thing, that the, the thing that we are deserving is death. And so God sends Jesus. Jesus lives a perfect life because the law requires it. And by God's plan, Jesus dies on the cross as a sacrifice Jesus dies for sins that he did not commit. He dies in your place for your sin. And we're told that as we trust in Jesus' person and his work, ask God to forgive us, he forgives us, cleanses us, reconciles us to God, restores a relationship that Adam and Eve broke thousands of years before. That's, that's the essence of of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the root of Christianity. You can't be a Christian without, without forgiveness. Forgiveness is the start point of your relationship with God. It's the springboard to everything else that, you, that happens to you in Christianity. And so when you pray, you're talking to God firstly, and you're asking God to forgive you. That's vertical. So here's what Jesus is saying. You also need to be obedient to forgive all those other people in your lives that perhaps are sinning against you. That's the hard part. In fact, we, we didn't read these verses, but if you would go on to verse 14 and 15 in chapter 6, this is what Jesus tells us, is that 
God's forgiveness of us is predicated uh, upon us forgiving others. Now, that does not mean that you won't go to heaven if you don't forgive people. But here's what it does mean. It means that your, your freedom, what, what happens when God forgives us? He makes us free, free of condemnation, free of someone saying you sin and you're going to go to hell for it. God has freed us from that. And so it means that you're free, but you're, you're also, your connection to God can be hindered because you refuse to give, forgive people. Forgiveness is important. The psalmist says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, iniquity means waywardness. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. There's a connection to you forgiving and you being heard by God and being blessed by God. I think a lot of our prayers are suffering because we just aren't doing what God has already commanded us to do. And this stretches to every part of our life. It's like the young man who professes to be a Christian, but he's, he's caught in the grip of pornography and is sleeping with his girlfriend. It's like the, the married couple who are, I mean, up to their ears in debt, and they don't have the courage to cut up their credit cards so that they won't be a slave to, to that anymore and can steward the money God has given them according to biblical principles a little bit better. It's the, it's the married man who who's a Christian and knows that the Bible says, hey, love your wife as Christ loved the church, unconditionally, willingly, participatingly, for which Peter says in 1 Peter 3, I mean, there's some of you dudes, your prayers are being hindered because you're not treating your wife the way you're supposed to be treating her. But I would say this also stretches into some of the religious things that we do. Think of the religious things that you do that, that serve as a facade of your life, and then you've got all these other things that, that aren't quite so right about you. Sometimes we go to Bible study and prayer meetings and, and BSF and PWOC and men's meetings and breakfasts and all these things, and, that, and that's good. But peel back the onion, and we have other things in our life that the Bible has told us to do that we aren't doing. And that sounds like a rebuke. It is from Jesus. Je- Jesus is using prayer and forgiveness to get at the heart of your obedience. We live life vertically before we live it horizontally, right? You ask God to forgive you, but you have a responsibility to forgive other people. If you're not going to do this, you're going to have some difficulty with God doing this, forgiving you. Pray with a view to obedience. In the, in the same vein, this is our last uh, verse here. We're to pray cautiously, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Every time I read this verse, I can't help but ask myself, I mean, why in the world is God asking me to pray that way? It's like he going to lead me into sin or something? I mean, I mean that's, obviously that's not the, the way I'm supposed to read that. Again, uh, this is where Bible study helps us. Uh, in Bible study, we learn that the, the Greek word for temptation is a word that can mean test, trial, or, or temptation. And those are three different things as they're played out in our lives. Uh, in our study in James, we learn that God does not tempt us, but he does test you. And so... One way to interpret this phrase, again, Bible study, is God, don't let my test become temptations. Because a, 
a test and a temptation are two sides of the same coin. How does God use a test? God brings circumstances and situations and people into your life to test you. And when God is testing you, what's he trying to do? He's trying to reprove your character. He's trying to help you grow and mature and shape you in your Christian character. What about Satan? Satan is going to use that same circumstance and situation, and he's going to tempt you, but he's not trying to help you. He's trying to destroy you. God, don't let my test become a temptation. There's a lot of people in your lives. It's your neighbor that you can't stand. It's the person at work that, um, that only has bad words for you. It's the, the difficulty of a relationship that's really close to you that you just can't seem to, to, to make it right. God has ordained those things, not all of them, but most of those things are put into our lives as tests. And when God gives us a test, those wayward people, the people we can't stand, all the crazies, there's just crazy stuff that happened, they're tools of sanctification. It's hard to accept, but it is. It's God's way of making you aware of your own sin, perhaps, bringing you in line with what the Bible says, giving you an opportunity to confess sin and repent and grow you so that that difficult person, that difficult circumstance, um, I mean, you mature beyond it. And it, it may not be that it ever gets easier, but at least you have a biblical perspective on it. Tools of, circum, uh, tools of sanctification. And so here's how to apply that. We should expect both. You, you're a fool if you don't expect both tests, but more importantly, temptation. Since the text is talking about temptation, I'll focus there. We live in a fallen world, and guess what? Temptation is going to happen. And I think one of our problems is we don't expect temptation. We're surprised by it. We bought into the TV commercials that tell us that we're supposed to have this low-maintenance, hassle-free life, and that does not exist, at least not on planet Earth. When you expect temptation, this is what the, this is, these are the words that Jesus is saying to us that, that, you, that, that should ring true. In this world, you will have trouble. It's going to happen. Now, obviously, there's another refrain to that. I've overcome the world. And so there's hope beyond the difficulties of our life. But the truth is, resisting temptation is hard. And that's why Jesus tells us to pray for it. Pray that you will not be led into temptation because temptation is downright hard to resist. Um, check it out. My wife texted me two days ago. She said, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. You need anything? That wasn't a test. It was a, that was a test from God. It was a temptation from Satan because, you know, I don't ask for like, oh, bring home some steak. No, I'm going to ask for that. Bring home some, uh, some, some lettuce. How about some banana? I might ask for a banana. Guess what I asked? Bring home some, some ice cream. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> temptation is going to come. Here's the deal. Temptation is hard to resist. It's hard to resist. But here's the hard part. Temptation always involves pain. It just does. Many of us don't pray Jesus' words here and lead us out in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here's what we pray. Lord, deliver me from pain. I don't want to have any pain in my life. We are adverse to pain. I, I say this word. I actually say this. I'm allergic to pain. So I'm rebuking myself. 
Um, anytime you have pain in your life, it's an acknowledgement of two things. Firstly, sin brings pain. The reason why you hurt when you stab your, stub your toe or, you know, prick your finger is, I mean, God, is, it's our body's response that something is wrong and your body is reacting to that. It's the same thing spiritually. When there's pain in our emotions or in our inner self or just, you know, in our physical body, it's God's way of saying, hey, something is wrong. Guard yourself. Beware of what's going on. But many of us just, um, we would rather live with the consequences of our sin rather than deal with hurt and pain. Here's what Jesus is saying in this text. The enemy is not your pain. The enemy is evil, and you don't want to be led to evil. And so let me wrap this up. here's, Here's where this prayer is pointing us to. God is inviting us to interact with him in the midst of a real world. And I want you to hear these words. I don't want you to read them. I just want you to listen to me as I read them. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is how we should pray. This is not what to pray. It's a pattern of prayer. You're to see God as Father. He's near, but he's also in heaven. And because he's in heaven, we should honor and revere him. We should hallow him. Make the Father the supreme aim of your life. Submit your will to him. Ask him for what you need. Pray that God doesn't let your tests become temptations and ask him to help you be obedient. This is what Jesus is saying it means for us to pray. Here's what I've learned in the few years I've been a Christian. You learn a lot about yourself when you pray. And so one of the applications I think of this is that some of us, all of us, need to audit our, our prayer lives. Exactly what is it that you're praying? What, what are you asking God for? Does it in any way mirror what Jesus has given us as a pattern to pray? Are you doing those things that he has asked us to do? I learned in Navigators, one of the formulas for prayer, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. It sort of mirrors what Jesus has has put out here. But what are you doing when you pray? Um, everybody prays. I said that before. But it, it, I mean, whenever you're wishing and hoping for things, you're praying. Listen to what you're praying for, um, even what you're writing down, because it's telling you more about your heart. Probably one of the hardest things for us to do in regards to talking to God is when we're talking and we're talking and we're talking and God doesn't seem to be responding. One of the hardest things for us in regards to prayer is when it seems as if our prayers go unanswered. And there's two, really two responses that you'll have in your heart to, to unanswered prayer. The first is bitterness. And bitterness is when you're, you're saying and you're thinking, all right, so Lord, I've done my part. I mean, I'm actually working hard and struggling, and I haven't got anything from you. So when are you going to do your part? The other part is that is insecurity. A lot of times we're praying, and we don't hear anything from God. And what we might think, especially if we're a Christian, is, well, well, maybe I haven't done enough. Maybe I need to work harder or do better for God to hear me and answer me. 
And I think the, the result of both of those is, is, is anger. We get angry at God, bitter at him because he has not responded. Or we get angry at ourselves and we condemn ourselves because we think that we're supposed to do more just so that God can hear us and answer our prayer. But probably underneath both of those is disappointment. And there's nothing that is worse than just being disappointed. And I would say there's a few of you probably in this room that are disappointed. You're disappointed in a circumstance, disappointed with your life, disappointed with your job, perhaps disappointed with some people. Maybe you're disappointed about everything. And you've talked to God and you're wondering if he's listening. And I think that's when you need to remember the, the first and the most important thing about praying to God. And this is where we started. God is your father. You know, God, Jesus could have started this prayer out, this how-to prayer, by saying anything. He could have said, this is what you're supposed to say, our king, our creator, O majestic one, um, father of lights, Lord, our friend. How did Jesus start this prayer? He says, when you pray, say, our father. I think that's important for us to remember. We don't have a genie in a bottle that we rub it and he comes out and he gives us three wishes. That's not who God is. We have a father who will give us what we need as we ask. Um, I'm a pastor. I, I talk to a lot of people. I counsel a lot of people. I would say sermon, you know, giving a sermon is probably 30% of what I do. The other 70% is just talking to people and helping them make sense of their lives. And I have to admit, there's, every once in a while, there's a person that comes in my office that I sit down and talk to over coffee or whatever, and there's no chapter or verse from the Bible that I can give them. Sometimes, when things just don't make sense, you actually don't even need the answer to whatever you're praying. You just need God. You just need him to show up and, and be present. And I would encourage you, those of you who are here and you've been praying, you don't necessarily discern what God is saying. You don't hear him talking to you in regards to your situation. Um, go to God as your father and just ask him, Lord, would you just help me to know that you're near? There's some of you that probably do need to hear from God. And so when you go to him, go to him knowing, without a doubt, he's your father. He's a good father. He knows what you need, and he's more than willing to both hear you and give you what you need. So let's go to him now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for Jesus, who reminds us of how we should come to a hallowed God who is both near but is in heaven. So, Lord, help us as we pray. Praying is one of those hard things that we do as a Christian. It's the simplest thing, yet it's the hardest. I pray that you would give us motivation to communicate with you, to, to, to spend time in prayer. Lord, make this one of the bread and butter things of, uh, of our Christian lives, reading the Bible and just spending time with you that we might get to know who you are, that we might experience you. Lord, and even as we're listening, God, I pray that your people would feel free to, to express themselves. First, to come in, in worship and adoration for who you are.
but to bring our hopes and our wants and our fears and to ask you for stuff, all kinds of stuff, knowing that you're a good father, that you hear us, that you know what we want, but more importantly, you know what we need. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.